your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to ATP. James and Ryan here following Everton crashing out of the third round of the Carabao Caribou Cup to QPR, 8-7 on penalties, 2-2 through extra time. A very depleted Everton squad, and we're going to dissect it as we always tend to do. But we'll start with instant match reactions. Over to you, Ryan. Frustrated, very frustrated with the approach, with the play. With about everything, uh, it was not a real enjoyable match to digest and watch. Downright boring at times. Uh, I feel very bad for the three thousand Everton fans that made their way down to London or were in London. It looked like their fan support was fantastic. It looks like a great place to see a match too. You know, I've seen it on TV before. I'd love to go there, but I it's just disappointing. You know, I maybe we should have known it by the lineup, but. Um, I think at Toronto underscore Everton hit it, you know, pretty well. Yeah, said uh, not surprised since our reserves are not a competitive championship team. So why would we expect to beat a good championship team? QPR currently sitting in eighth place in the championship and made us look like uh, we belonged below them based on today's result, of course. I think the injury problems that are currently plaguing the side will be the narrative throughout and hopefully it's temporary and doesn't remain a narrative throughout the entire season. But before we get into the match too much, Ryan, Rafa Benitez upon arrival seemed to uh, focus on this specific problem and have a few comments along the way regarding how to reduce injuries in the squad, which has clearly been extremely successful thus far. Rafa used to write this blog back in the day and, and one of his posts from like August of 2013 was about having too many injuries and yeah, it's kind of ridiculous, but yeah, he brought in a, a brand new fitness staff. Basically he brought in Jamie Harley for, as a new head of sports science from Newcastle after 11 years there. And he was going to work side Danny Donachi, uh, who's the head of medical services at Finch farm already. And the idea is they can work together to, Minimize injuries in the new setup. And, you know, Paco de Miguel, who's the one, you know, little guy kind of on all the YouTube training videos, who's Rafa's right hand man, also has a big fitness background. I mean, he came out of Madrid's National Institute of Physical Education. So he he manages player workloads and has a lot to say on subs. And I think we saw some of that tonight too, where he picked up where players were a little bit knocked up. Um, but ultimately, it's not happening. And I think it's fair to ask. I'm not a sort science guy. I'm not a physio. I don't, I don't know anything about that. So I don't know. But when it happens every year and it's been like three years in a row, I think it's safe to say to ask some questions. But I really love it when periodicals and newspapers hype up all this. They're going to bring in this guy who's good at injury prevention and nothing changes. You know, so it, it's there's only so much you can do, too. A lot of this is just fluke and we have a small sample size. But this game looks very differently, even with Fabian Delph and JPG in the midfield. Uh, we'll get to the lineups in a second, but in no one else seems to have these kind of injuries. It's pretty amazing when you go back and look at the other squads, how people are staying healthy and the lineup stays every single week. It just doesn't seem to be the case for Everton. It, it is a shame, though, because it definitely hurt us tonight. Yeah, and in the squad depth, 
it just exacerbates the lack of it, right? Yes, and it does. So we've got a n- number of starters out, and then you've got this midweek cup match in addition to kind of sandwiched between two Premier League games, and you'd normally have to rotate the squad anyway when your hand is additionally forced by True. these injuries creates a massive problem. And look, I don't know about you, Ryan, but the instant I saw the lineup, I just shook my head. I, and it wasn't because I was expecting anything better. It was, I think, probably the best we could do given the circumstances. But look, Asmir Begovic hasn't exactly uh, torn it up since his arrival. Pickford, a huge miss, especially in a position where you don't really ever have to rotate, having to rotate due to injury, major problem. John Joe Kenny, I think we'll talk about him throughout the course of the match, but I think uh, it's pretty apparent at this point that he's just not the level we need at right back in any way. It's amazing. It's amazing, though. I mean, it's one thing like people talked about. I thought the media over blew his performances at Schalke, but he wasn't terrible. I mean, he was okay. I mean, he was an all right Bundesliga right back. And even if he was playing a little bit of wing back at the end, I thought he could do some things okay. He could certainly serve a ball still, but the fall from grace is tremendous. I mean, this is still, he's not that young anymore. But when he was coming up, I remember Brands set kind of a fee, I think, of seven million pounds on him. And I, I thought, yeah, we're going to get that. No problem. Now, granted, part of it was COVID hit and some other things, but he went to Celtic and was terrible, like really bad. He, I don't know if he's just lost his mental game. He lasts his confidence, but touches are bad. He had a throw in where he literally just threw it right off a defender's head, 10 feet in front of him. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, it would have been. I don't even know what to say about it. I saw it. I was like, did, did I see that? Did I just see that? Did anyone else see that? This is a kid who was in the U21 England squad that won that World Cup, right? So, like, what has happened to John Joe Kenny? He couldn't do it in the Scottish Premiership. Certainly doesn't look like he's going to be able to do it for Everton. And it's just another youth prospect who kind of reaches the cusp of first-team action. And, and his contract's up. I mean, yeah. he's gone He's gone in the summer. He'll be and gone, no I, question. And I'm dying to see where he goes. I mean, I... I it reminds me a little bit of Luke Garbutt in a way, you know, the guy yeah. that Carlo Ancelotti for some reason had forgotten about, which by the way is ridiculous. I still, still looking back on him. It's kind of crazy. Who? Yeah. Not to, I, I don't need to right. I don't need to beat up on poor John Joe anymore, but it is pretty shocking. And we saw it in Florida too, where it was really apparent that he was off it. And yeah. it's just sad. You know, it's just disappointing to see a guy that you want to do well, that works really hard. He just, there's something going on there and I feel bad for him. I think the midfield though, when you saw that lineup come out was the immediate one for me that I was thinking, Oh no. And I was hoping maybe they play in a three or do something a little bit different, but it wasn't that way at all. Really. I mean, it was kind of your four, two, three, one, where you had the three pretty up high and I mean, those guys did not fare well, uh, no. and you knew Ron, and you knew Ron, and is still not not fit. So you kind of right. looked at that and you thought, "Oh boy, this could be." And I think it was safe to ask some questions about Holgate, who hadn't played in a while, and is Ben Godfrey fit? So I think there are a right. lot of question marks there for sure. I was certainly concerned when I saw it. I shook my head, and yeah, part of it's where we're at, but I, yeah, I don't know. QPR's lineup was pretty strong though, so you kind of had a feeling this would be a dogfight. Yeah. And and you see, I saw the lineup drop and like we both, I think, kind of had similar reactions, but I saw a lot of people that seemed like, all right, well, this is what we got. This is the best we can do. This still should be good enough to be QPR, which I think is fair to say. I think that squad's good enough to be QPR on their day. But you're right. There were a lot of flags. The the whole gate Godfrey partnership. Again, you just don't really see the synergy there, not to mention the, the form issues 
and the fitness issues. And so it just kind of compounds everything in the bench too. like very few options off the bench. You got Ellis Sims there signed sort of nominally to fill a spot, yeah. but doesn't yep. ever really see. He's like probably he, not even fit, you know, right. And, and, He's coming and, off an injury and hasn't even proven himself beyond league one. So is that a realistic option? Maybe it was, but yeah, you just look at it. You're right. Not too many options. I think the only question mark you could ask is to say, all right, could you have played a three-man midfielder? Could you have played one of Alon or Decore in there and kind yep. of sub them out as you went just to make sure you at least had someone who's in form and reasonable? I mean, Andre and Tom Davies are two just very bad defensively positional players. Davies, I thought, maybe took a step or two back forward last year, and he looks dreadful this year. He looks lost and was very bad tonight. That's maybe one of your only options. Um but yeah, it's pretty dire, unfortunately. And you're stuck with playing Dean at left back again because we have no one really to play in there right. unless you're going to stick Keen in the middle and move Godfrey out. Maybe that would have been a better idea. And you just got because Mina was out. I I don't know. But yeah, QPR played a pretty good lineup. I mean, they were playing most of their guys. Uh, they've been playing a little better. I, you said they were eighth, but I think they had won the XG battle their last five matches. Uh, Willock's kind of their danger guy. Uh, I think they have couple of head goals from their center halves. They typically play three in the back. At least they had recently on their decent stretch. And all those guys were there, you know, the defensive guys in the back, uh, Barbet, um, Dickie Dang, the goalie was in their chair ball. Uh, a couple of the guys were out. Stefan Johansson, uh, Moses Adubaijo, uh, Lynn, Lyndon Dykes, but Charlie Austin gets the start up top. Charlie Austin's 32 years old, but let's not forget Charlie Austin scored 18 goals and six assists. As a 25-year-old for QPR in the Premier League in 2014-15, and I swear he apparently wanted to rekindle some of the magic from that season tonight, and he was difficult. Both those guys struggled against him, and again, I think there's some tactical questions on how to combat that because we didn't do a good job of that at all. No, we didn't, and, he, and the, the match starts, and obviously QPR home, they have the fans behind them, and the strategy for Everton similar to how we've played I think we gave QPR far too much respect we didn't want yep. seem, seem at all interested in pressuring whether that goes back to the fitness thing or not the level of of energy off the ball certainly wasn't there um let them pretty much dictate possession dictate play for most of the first half and you know we had a couple decent counterattacks and a couple decent moves but the structure was very confusing. You had Alex Wobie finally playing centrally in that uh, number 10 position with Townsend and Gordon on either side of him. And it just, in I guess another factor is, of course, this side hasn't really played together that much. So there's true perhaps some synergy issues, but QPR just looked much more organized, much more uh, direct and had, a, had a, frankly, a better plan in place to dismantle whatever it was that we were trying to do. Yeah, I think we had another issue like we had in the Villa match. We just didn't have a vertical threat. Yeah. I mean, Rondon's coming back to kind of release pressure, to win the ball and lay it off for someone. But if no one's stretching the defense, and Gordon didn't do it that much, he was coming kind of coming back for the ball. You stacked a Wobi kind of on top of Rondon at times. The idea is that he would get it or he'd come back for the ball. And Alex was okay. I mean, he wasn't giving the ball away. He advanced the ball up the field quite a few times, created some chances, missed a golden one, but... It really wasn't there. It just wasn't crisp. And when you haven't played that much, it's tough to kind of run those counters. It didn't look coordinated, though. No. To your point, we didn't look as organized. And you basically had Barbet 
Dune and Dickie just done and Dickie just kind of passing it back and forth in the back. It was a very interesting setup for them. I wanted to get to that to a second, but it was just disorganized. I think that's the best way to say it. Like one player would pressure, no one else would. Um, and when you look at kind of how we set up, Everton had set up very compact in the past, and it looked like today we weren't as compact. And I think that was very intentional. I think Queens Park Rangers set up very interestingly where he had those three center halves passing it back and forth. You had your four in the middle. Like it was really a three, four, three. Those guys were wide and they stacked the left side. So it was like they overloaded the left side. Austin was over there. They stuck Willock over there. It was dancing around, just making Tom Davies look dumb. But the odd part about it, what was very strange is they had Dickie on the far side and the backside. Um, as well as uh, Adama, I don't know him very well, but he was a bit of a vertical threat. They stayed wide. So Everton, you could tell on the backside, wanted to be more compact, but if you were, you really gave up a lot of space, and very early QPR showed the willingness to switch it back. So Mark Warburton had him pretty well geared for this one. They switched it a couple times early, and I think it had the effect where Everton was now like Gomez is looking over his shoulder. Dean was looking back a little bit. I think it spread us out just enough to maybe have an impact. And I, I think it made, made our midfield struggle a little bit at times. It was a good setup. They were well-organized. They deserve credit. But I mean, look at the way we attacked and the way they attacked. I mean, they went up right after John Joe and Holgate, did they not? Yeah, absolutely. So 44% of QPR's attack came down the left. As you mentioned, overloads, exploit the weak, weakest link. And they did that quite well. Everton, meanwhile, managed to maintain a level of balance, but ineffective. Um, 39% down the right, 37% down the left. So either side, but not finding a whole lot of joy, uh, no matter which side it was. And then you look at the shot locations. I mean, we took almost 30% of our shots from outside of the box. QPR 80% effectively from inside the 18. And... uh, I mean, it ended 2-2 in, in regulation, and so it is it is what it is. But that first half especially, as we can kind of get into the timeline now, first half was was, I mean, pretty diabolical. The very first kick, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, Mason Holgate, here's your chance oh today. My God, yeah. No long balls. Don't just start hoofing it up to him. I mean, the very first kick he gets up there, sends a long ball that misses everyone by a mile and just basically ends up, I think, in Dunn's lap. I'm like, are you kidding me? Your first strike of the ball, and that's what you pull off. Great start. I knew it was going to be a doozy after that one. And yeah, we described it. You know, QPR, when they didn't have the ball, really got compact. I mean, it was pretty interesting. I mean, they were almost like their two defensive mids, central mids were in there. And then the three guys in front of them just kind of stacked together and almost looked like a basketball formation, like a 2-1-2. And with the three kind of guys in the back, it was very interesting why. I don't know why they decided to do that. I, I think they knew that. We we're going to try and feed the ball to Rondon and then feed it to Alex Wobie. Wobie is kind of the valve and it was effective, but really, I mean, the first 20 minutes or so, it was just their center halves kind of kicking it around. And when they built out of the back, the two defensive mids would come back and it was just so easy to break. I mean, there was no effective pressure from us whatsoever in their half. And then once they broke through our line of pressure, which wasn't very aggressive. I mean, I, I had no confidence in our ability of our midfield to, win the ball back and do anything. And like I said, the switches were effective and as it, well. We had, we had a couple chances though. It wasn't completely devoid of chances, but they had the ball, the majority of the first half and the majority of the first 20 minutes. In, in a side like that, where you're really in theory playing down, the Rafa approach has worked against certain sides in the Premier League, but 
I really think when you're going to QPR, you want to try to control the play and dictate things on your terms a little bit more. We did quite the opposite. Um, you know, and, and we've talked about Rafa wanting to um, control the space rather than necessarily control the ball, but I don't yeah. think we really even did that particularly well. Um, one thing, I don't know just, what space, like, right. you know what I mean? You're kind of looking at it and be like, wow, they got into some spaces where it was not controlled. Right. And so I think sort of the first red flag besides the first kick of the match for me, um, there was a QPR at a corner in the 11th minutes. A Wobie gets the ball looking to break. He holds nice onto it too off long. of the corner, right? That was great. And then it, he had guys wide open, ready on the right to spring a counter. And what happened? Holds onto it too long, gets closed down, and then tries to thread a pass between basically yeah. two guys standing directly in front of him, gives it away. Yep. And uh, they get a shot from outside the box. Sign of things to come. Um, but that said, just a minute later, Awobi makes a really nice run wide. We find him in space. He's got all day. He puts a really nice, I think it's Rondon making the run in front. Anthony yep. Gordon trailing coming in from the left-hand side. And Wobi makes a really good pass to feet. Maybe could have put it a little further in front of Gordon so he can one-time it. He takes a touch instead. Golden chance regardless, and Gordon kind of scuffs it. Forces a good save, but um, that's one that probably should be in the back of the net. I like where Alex passed it. That's how I would probably do it too, just for me, because I like kind of the more of the cutback. I think he probably was afraid that he didn't have quite that room. Gordon hit it okay. It's yeah. a, it a good save. I mean, it really it was. was. I mean, Ding made a couple really good saves today. That was definitely one of them. And the game changes a lot if that goes in. But let, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, in the 18th minute, they finally struck, but QPR had 70% possession at that point. And we were just the, our really offense other than that quick sequence was hoofing the ball up to them. I think they were five to one against us in aerials. And it was all defensive wins. It was just kick it outside and cross, which is not how it's been this year. We had a lot of cross feel like we had 21 crosses today, which is a little more than we've had, but it never seemed overly dangerous. And they've got three center halves in there, right? But in the 18th minute, they eventually break through. I wasn't entirely surprised. I can't say they were incredibly threatening, but no. they had the ball and they looked like they were conveying for sure. And let me tell you what Willock did oh. Tom Davies in absolutely megged him at one spin point. cycle. Just, oh, it was brutal. Uh, it was, it was a, it was a pretty good sequence by them and a, a calamity of errors by us. Yeah. Willock starts it off by just obliterating Tom Davies with some moves. He was full of tricks today. Uh, very creative yep. with the ball at his feet, but poor defending by Tom there, as we have come to expect chair, I think gets to the end line um, and is kind of a dangerous area, draws defenders out, cuts it back to McCallum who crosses it. Begovich comes out and kind of a weak parry, but not sure how much better he could do with that particular one It's coming in pretty quickly reaction uh, move. Parries it. It falls essentially right on Charlie Austin's head. Nods at home. QPR in front. Fans behind him. And uh, looking pretty grim on that evidence at that point. Just shaking your head at that point. Just disappointing and disappointing. I still felt like we sat back too much. I mean, when you look at that center half pairing, you think, geez, with those guys as quick as they both are, Godfrey in particular is awfully quick. Jeez, can't you pressure up a little bit? Can't you kind of, you know, I, I maybe you were concerned that they were going to play it over the top to Charlie Austin, but I'd much rather have him trying to hoof it up from distance. So I really wanted to see us push up a little bit higher and condense that. 
vertical space. It's just easier to defend them from there. And that way you could put a little pressure on them. Maybe, maybe Benitez was concerned about the Davies Andre combination and, and would right, have left right, him wide so. open. Uh, right. I, I guess so. But you got to do something at this point to me, even if you don't have the skill, you've got guys that will work. They're looking for opportunities, at least put pressure on the other team to see if they can really show the skill to right. break through and deal with it. Why? Well, I just felt like we didn't put a lot of, a lot of pressure on them. Um, yeah. That being said, there was a massive chance in the 29th and sadly we couldn't take advantage. It's nothing we created. I, I still am boggled about was just, this just a bad defensive play. It was a very strange play. Yeah. There really wasn't a ton of pressure and, and Wobie's just kind of opportunistically right place, right time. And essentially given a one-on-one with the keeper mm-hmm. in on goal free shot and really not his strong suit, putting it in the back of the net, I think safe to say. And he, he doesn't, he just doesn't put it far enough on either side. Um, yeah. and, and it's okay to ground. I mean, it's not the greatest shot. I mean, if it gets a two foot higher, it's in, um, I, you know, it, it certainly is not a great finisher. It is a good save though. It's really hard to not say, I mean, he kicked his foot out futsal style pretty quickly and he deserves credit for the save. I mean, we saw, um, Damari Gray score on one where that exact same thing happened, but it bounced over him. You'd like to see him do better. It just, I know it's not a strong suit, but man, that would have been a massive goal. Things are very different again. And, and in a game like this, where the margins are thin, regardless of whether they should or should not be, these are big moments and you'd like to see him come, come through. Um, the good part is we did very momentarily quickly behind that equalize, although this was again, a strange play and probably one that I think should have been a no goal. Yeah. We have the magic of no VAR in the <laughs> cup, which I just don't get, I don't see it against it's teams so strange. like this. I, it, it makes no sense. Um, you know, this is kind of one of the first moments where, uh, Gordon is kind of getting into the flow of the game. I thought he was a little uneven today, but he did have some good moments and, it's it's a good chance, but it was a strange one. And I mean, the keeper almost didn't seem like he was even a, making an attempt at the goal. Yeah, it's a strange one for sure. Um, Gordon's playing out wide left, obviously, and he plays Townsend uh, coming towards the middle of the pitch, towards the top of the 18, maybe 25 yards out, similar place to where he scored his worldy the other day. Uh, plays it infield to Townsend. Dean sees that. He's out there with Gordon. He immediately starts making him run in behind. Townsend sees it, picks him out, Dinks the ball over the top and Dean, as he does so well, one touch hits it near post, which again, if you're the keeper, you got to prevent that from going near post uh, and puts it in the back of the net. We're level. Um, We really didn't get a great look at it, Ryan, the replay. It looked like Dean was at least half a yard to a yard offside. I thought that immediately when I saw it, I was like, how I did too. How was that not called? Um, But again, we benefit from the lack of VAR, uh, senseless as it may seem and we're level unfortunately it did not last particularly long just four minutes later qpr and charlie austin find the back of the net again i don't know what to say about this play you know the the cross came in and i mean austin's clearly in the channel i think someone could make the argument that he shoved ben godfrey but what i don't understand is how is he not either backing into him or looking over his shoulder or looking who's in the channel. There's one guy. It's not like there's a multitude of people for him to choose from. And he just got absolutely bullied and it's a great header, but you have to do better there. And I I think that people maybe have, this might irritate some people, but 
people have gotten a little carried away with him as a defender and maybe have forgotten that he's very raw as a center half. He played there all year for Norwich. He didn't, he wasn't brought up as a center half and got frankly destroyed. Uh, so when he came to us, I think people thought this guy is a good young talent, but he's, he's going to take some time to adjust. I think a lot of people have just anointed him the second coming of our starting center half without really thinking about the fact that he was playing as a defensive fullback a lot of last year. And, and we have already gone through the, the impact there from a fullback standpoint of playing Holgate or Godfrey. It basically means zero offense. Um, but he showed plus plus athleticism in those roles and he's tough and everything. And he also may not be fit yeah. the game. And so if you're already a little bit raw, maybe COVID wrecked you a little bit. I don't know if there's an injury as well. Maybe you're not quite as sharp, but again, it's also QPR and a 32 year old Charlie Austin. I, he's got to do better here though. I, there's not, I don't know what else to normally you point to kind of a multitude of errors, but. And the cross comes from player. so deep. You really uh, just, yeah. you can't be conceding those sort of chances. That's like a hope and a prayer, a half court shot, if you will. And we just let them have it. And we let them take the lead into halftime at halftime, pretty grim picture painted 64, 38 possession in favor of QPR eight to eight in shots, which I guess isn't the worst, but out dribbled six to two. 16 to eight in aerials. That That's the one. It's just. Everton and QPR winning two thirds of theirs. We only won 33%. Uh, Charlie Austin was seven of those at the half. So he was just dominating that center half pairing, which might be expected. We know neither of them are great in the air, but again, it's Charlie freaking Austin. It's not 2015 anymore. We've got to, we've got to be a little bit better. And then four for four and successful tackles, despite the fact that we had, you know, a third of the ball compared to QPR. I think it was fairly obvious we needed to make some adjustments. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. But Rafa Benitez has been successful so far this year, coming out with a better game plan in the second half. Even in the Villa match, it took us a little while to get going, but some of our best sequence was about in the 50th, right up until they had the goal when we had some great chances. So you were hopeful the boys are going to wake up, come out, really do something. And we got on the board very early. Um on a set piece at a, a nice, lovely orchestrated play. And that was great. And you had a feeling when that happened, you're thinking this has got I me. Mean, we're going to put on the jets here and blow these guys away. Are we not, not to be, but again, it's another goal that I just kind of shook my head and thought, what a strange match. Yeah. It was a really strange play because Gomez is taking the corner first of all, which he has done occasionally, but plays it really low and kind of like skipping. Rondon's making the run to the near post, which clearly was the design. Um, yep. And he flicks it seemingly on goal. Diang, the QPR keeper, gets a slight touch on it. It falls to Holgate. Holgate kind of flicks it back. Townsend, right place, right time, gets a goal to go with his assist. And we're level right at the start of the half. Again, fighting back from a deficit, which is something encouraging at the very least. And we've got the whole half to play for. You'd think we would have gained some momentum from this. But that was kind of it, barring another, you know, controversial uh, play on Decore later in the half. I mean, we we certainly outshot them, but it never really felt like we were going to put together the move required that, to win the match in the end. I think from that point on, or actually pretty much from the half to about the 74th, I think we outshot them seven to one. But I can't ever point to any of them to think, 
man, that was a golden opportunity. Yeah. But like they defended well and our orchestration just wasn't there. It wasn't fluid. We grew into the game a bit. We certainly looked like we were the more likely team to score. Sure. And yes, I think the big moment was DeCorey coming into the match, by the way, did change the match for sure. I mean, what a night and day difference. And we'll get into some of the issues with the midfield. Not hard to improve on that. I think Benitez indicated Andre may have taken a knock, but either way, it was an improvement. I think he gets clipped in the box. I think it's pretty clear. Again, VAR maybe awards it. DeCorey looked back incredulous, like, are you kidding me? And I felt like even if he didn't touch it, the ball, I, I can't remember if it was maybe a Wobie trailing him, was right there too. This was right. a golden opportunity. And you just shake your head and you think, wow, it's going to be one of these nights. That being said, if Dean's offsides on the first one, it probably evens itself out. But I, it's amazing when VAR isn't there. Now you start to look at calls in a different way and you realize, boy, these guys miss a lot of calls. And <laughs> I know it's friend. hard. I know it's to hard forget. to officiate, but yeah, it really was. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was the lights. I don't know what happened. Um, the numbers in the second half certainly indicate an improved effort, but it unfortunately didn't result into that chance. That was the big one. I don't know how to really feel about it, but, but the numbers were better for sure. Yeah. 55, 45 possession. So still losing the possession battle, but not quite so dramatically. Nine outshot them nine to three, out dribbled them four to one, level with uh level with QPR and aerials one seven to seven, and six key passes to one. So clearly the better side based on that evidence in the second half. But as you said, never really were quite clinical or threatening enough to justify, I think, winning the match. And so as a result of that, we head to penalty kicks, Ryan. Uh for those of us who were fortunate enough to attend the Florida Cup a very familiar scenario of a penalty shootout that seems like it never wants to end. And uh, Begovic, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I had three key talking points. One is that Begovic can't really save anything. He's now faced 18 PKs across two penalty shootouts. And the only one he saved was against the Pumas uh, or sorry, Milanarios keeper. And so Which was one of the worst penalties <laughs> I've ever seen. It is strange. He doesn't seem to get off the line quickly enough yeah. he had one chance to make a clear save got his paw on it and somehow it went into the net which i just don't don't get it he looks completely clueless on penalties i'd have to go back and research to see if he is i think he's adequate as a keeper i don't think he's a robin olsen or anything but he's fine um and i think the other key mel mem- i thought the shooters were very strange for us yeah but it was remarkable how good they were i mean the sequence of guys i mean you start off with two center halves who did excellently i mean both the finishes were absolutely dynamite the ben godfrey miss was very interesting but that's one of the silliest things i've ever seen a keeper do i, I don't even know what he was doing with the jumping around silliness it's like a it's a weird taunting mind games type of thing, but you're not even looking at him at that point. I, I, that doesn't bother a shooter. Right. So why do, don't do it so much, you genius, so that you get off your line by like a foot? It wasn't close. He was they, way- stand, they stand on the line now, Hamas. Did they not realize this? It, it wasn't like he came off the line early. It was like he was standing off the line when the shot like took place. It was really bizarre and really a stroke of luck again it's it just in some ways is reminiscent of of baines's screamer in the cup a couple years ago in that it gave us a new lease on life which we then completely squandered 
Um, of course, Godfrey gets a second opportunity, buries it. We go on, we go on. We had Damari Gray convert. We had Anthony Gordon before that. Sorry, that, these are both before Godfrey. DeCore also finish. And then Tom Davies oh. steps up. And it's just a weak effort. It's just, that, that's all it is. It's low. It's, it's conservative. It, it's placed in a way that had he guessed wrong, it would have looked good, but it just doesn't have enough on it. Clearly, why Tom Davies, if you get past the first five guys and your guys taking it that clearly didn't really want to in the first place, and it's just sort of, you got to go. And look, it's, it's done finishes his. It's a crapshoot on this. I, yeah. I think penalties are almost all that way. You can be as prepared as you want. Um, I think goalies matter. Keepers matter, matter certainly. Uh, research matters, things like that. But I don't think either keeper were really locked on on what these guys are going to do. Yeah. There's not much penalty record for Mason Holgate and Michael Keane. Right. <laughs> and, yeah, it's harsh on Tom Davies. You'd like to see him do, do better than that. But it was amazing how many quality penalties there were. It's just yeah. unfortunate. But the issue here is... What, how did it get to this? And I just think there were some elements in the match that were, were bad. I, I think the biggest point that I recall as I'm watching it to think, I mean, we were just dominated in the air. Yep. And I think in particular, our center half combination was, was poor. I mean, Rondon won six aerials. He, by the way, he is really good at defending set pieces in the box in the air. It's, it's amazing. He's really quite, quite remarkable at it. No one else on the team won more than two aerials. Yeah. How is that possible? I mean, Charlie Austin won 77% of his aerials. They won 61% of the aerials uh, to our 39. Godfrey was two of four. Holgate was one of four. I, I just think the center half pairing wasn't there. They had some clearances. I mean, Godfrey had four. Mason, Mason had seven, which probably contributed to his terrible long passing numbers. But they weren't. They never stepped up at all. And I think that makes it harder for Tom Davies and, and Andre Andre Gomes. I mean, neither of them had an interception. I think only Holgate's the only one that had a tackle, but I'm telling you one thing, man, which I am tired of seeing. I don't understand why it keeps happening. Mason Holgate was five for 16 long passes. Five for 16. Now, again, he, he had a bunch of clearances and that typically counts in the stat, but that is not good enough. Stop doing that. Even the targeted, I mean, even the passes that were presumably passes, like they weren't accurate and they weren't there was even one that hit was, well. There was one that was because it went off someone's back. Right. There were many that were not really driven. They were kind of bloopers, yeah. not a lot of pace, not a lot of shape on them. And again, we it's not like Ben Godfrey is some sort of like long range passer extraordinaire. But if those are the guys you're relying on for distribution, uh, it certainly is slightly problematic. And I think, I think the tackles as well. Yeah, I think he was three of eight as well. And they were sitting in the back playing long balls. And it's just, that's not the way to beat a team like this. I mean, you can't play through the lines against them. They're right. pressuring just enough to make it tough, but we've seen that so far. It's not good. And it's, it's just, it's disappointing. And the sad part is Mason Holgate. It's that attitude he has that also makes him very successful when he went up to took that PK, you know, he was yeah. full of confidence and he just smoked it. But it's that RAS decision-making. You see it on defense as well. It's just tough. And the midfield. I mean, the midfield, the tackling in general, great point. I mean, how can they have 14 successful tackles and we only have 11? What was the possession number? Weren't they over 60%? Yeah, it was like 60-40 approximately. Again, so like if you're not going to have the ball, 
you presumably would at least want to win it back occasionally, but or intercept it or intercept it. And they were 14 to seven in interceptions against us. How do we not attempt to win the ball back? Put some pressure on them for heaven's sake. It was incredibly passive off the ball. I I noticed that within the first 10 minutes and it just kind of continued. We just were very willing to sort of let them do their thing, drop off, let guys ideally keep guys in front of us. But then they, of course, also out dribbled us and uh, had some guys that were tricky with the ball at their feet. So what do you think of our immediately when the lineup came out, both of us, I think, expressed reservation of that midfield combination. How do you feel like those two fared? This is an absolutely loaded question. Yes, it is. And I know you've got me set up, but it it just doesn't work with those two. I think if you have a three man midfield, you can bring in someone who might be able to, to create some synergies there, but neither they're just both so terrible off the ball. And frankly, neither were really good on the ball either today. And so And and you can't really, I don't think either of them really makes sense in that system. They're not an Allen and DeCorey combination. So to play, I think Allen DeCorey struggles a little bit sometimes too, you know, in terms of, of, so I, I was hoping you would see Davies in kind of the more withdrawn kind of Alon role. Uh, And again, there's some exchange there. It's not that strict, but I mean, they just, they got beat in the midfield. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, how many tackles were they have between between them and interceptions? Not a lot. Andre one for four in tackles, got dribbled past three times. Tom Davies one for three in tackles, dribbled past twice. He had one interception. Andre had none. Andre had none. Yeah, and Decoria comes in for Andre, and immediately just night and day. I think contrast in terms of the energy level, the uh, yep. physicality, the ability to disrupt play, all of the above. Yeah, the interceptions to number just is mind-boggling, 14 to 7. And we had only two guys that had more than one, and neither of them were midfielders or center halves, Townsend and Dean. Um, there were a couple good performances for sure, but boy, there are a lot of question marks in those guys. And we know we when we did our team assessment, we know that Rafa Benitez is not afraid to push people out. Even January is going to be kind of interesting, in all honesty. Uh, if he can do anything to move people out, and he is not nice about it. Uh, asked Danny Murphy about it. He absolutely told him to just, sorry, you're not good enough anymore. Uh, we'll see if that happens. That might be the only positive attribute in terms of his man management that we might get. We'll get yeah. to that in a second. Um, but Anders Townsend played a pretty good match, I think. Yeah. And, and we had um, at K Burke, 1878 with the comment. I know I was the first to laugh when we signed Townsend, but I've seen more commitment from him in the first six or seven games than I've seen from most of the current Everton players in the last five years. And look, he had the goalie assist today, two key passes, 54 touches, which was the most out of anyone that wasn't a defender. Um, And he had to get up and down a ton, right? Because he's playing on the right. He has to provide support for John Joe Kenny, who just poor enough said. Uh, And frankly, I was, I think he played the full 90 out of necessity. He looked very gassed as did the rest of the squad towards the end and threadbare right wing. He's the one guy that can slot in there. I think he was the best of a bad bunch today. It's just a shame that he doesn't have a right back on that side when we're playing to take the wide space for him to cut inside. And I think that's got to be the future. We have to find, and we have another left footer that can do that, but we'll talk about him in a second, but not, not a traditional kind of wide player. And we're playing to his strengths to some, some extent, but it's it's almost become a little bit too predictable. And if there's not that vertical threat down the right side, it becomes a lot easier to defend and it would help him, but he's still producing, which is remarkable. He deserves a lot of credit. 
I thought Luca Dean came into the match today with something to prove maybe after, a, a, I'd say a half error and a, and a tough break against Villa. I think his demise is premature. I think some of the narratives out there about him suddenly being bad is an absolute joke. Um, he's playing Agreed. differently. I don't understand why people don't understand that. Like when players are being deployed differently, their performance is going to be different. Yeah. And I put There's out a, a tweet. Re- I put out a tweet the other day that was, you know, it, it's just weird how people seem to revel in. Uh, and maybe we're guilty of this sometimes too, but revel in saying, you know, oh, Luca Dean's been bad for, you know, he, was, he wasn't great against Villa, but then saying, well, he hasn't been good for a year now. I, I got Ridiculous. some tweets saying that, which is just this absurd. Year. Several times he's been good this year in the early matches. What are you talking about? Do people think that Damari Gray gets to roam around for free in the left wing without Dean being there at left back? What about tonight? Do you think they wanted anything to do with attacking down the right side? Heck no. And that's what a talent like him brings. It's like in the NFL, why people aren't throwing at certain corners. It's the same thing. He's a really good player. It it really bothers me that people, I say the same thing about Wobie all the time in that, you can't expect a guy to be in the box half the time that he was at Arsenal to produce in the same way. It's totally normal to suggest that. That's not fair. Uh, I, I just don't, I don't know what you expect. The, the, there's different things that Rafa Benitez is doing right now. Why do you think Gray is doing so well on the left side? Because he's putting him in a position to almost force him to play in the direct manner, which I think he's most successful doing. So I just, I, I don't, it irritates me. I don't understand the Dean stuff in particular people. I, some of these people, I just don't think they know what the heck they're looking at. And I, I have to admit I've muted and blocked some people recently. Cause I'm sitting there listening to that. I'm like, why, why am I listening to someone doing, doing silly, silly stuff like that? I mean, so, so let's, let's take a step back here. We know he's being used differently. You know how we know he's getting half the amount of touches in the box that he wasn't before. He's never been under 1.12 touches per 90 in the box for us. He's a 0.6. You know what I mean? He's crossing way less. We talked about it on our Toffee, Toffee TV episode. Right, right. He's not. You know, and look, progressive passes received is a good measure of knowing, you know, whether they're using you as someone up front or they're making longer passes to spring you. I mean, he's something like last year, he was almost at four per 90 that he was receiving, meaning as Carlo had him pushed really high up, he's under two. So he's just being used differently and he's not crossing that much. That is an intentional thing. It is not a bad thing, but he's been an absolute stud defensively. One slight turn of getting beat by half a step by Matty Cash when he was rock solid the whole match. They were terrified to attack down that side. They attacked on the left side. The entire match does not mean suddenly he's off form. Uh, He's just being used differently. I, I, I mean, this yeah. guy's been about our most uh, consistent performer since he signed. Yeah, I re- really. Who would you who would you say would be? No, I think I think that's hundred percent accurate. I think and we've talked so much about we don't even bring him up on the show so often because he's so consistently good that it almost flies under the radar because you don't even necessarily appreciate the impact that he has sometimes without even touching the ball. As you said, he he. It, forces opponents to go away from him, which is something in and of itself, but enough on Luca Dean. I do think he was okay today. I think he was pretty decent, but I think uh, Alan Brody really kind of hit the nail on the head in his comment. He said, not a whole lot of positives. He said Townsend best player again, dot, dot, dot. And that's the problem, which I think is uh, yeah, pretty astute right. there. He said Gordon full of effort, but ruining that miss early fair. 
Awobi, John Joe Kenny, Holgate, Gomez, Davies, Yikes. Not confident about beating Norwich on Saturday. I can't argue with a lot of that. I think I think it's a little harsh on Awobi, frankly. But yeah, I thought so too. And Gordon, look. I don't think he's anywhere near Premier League quality, but I thought he showed okay. He just lacks some quality and touches at times. He still has pace. The thing about him is he's young, but he still has some physical tools and he's very slight still. So you can see maybe he's a little bit of a late developer. Occasionally he got in in his lovely little spot there in the left half space. And you could see when he's comfortable, he looks really good. Boy, I really wish he'd have gotten a loan, but I look at our numbers now and I understand why he didn't. I wonder if it wouldn't help him to go to even at a league one side where he can just kill it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And really kind of come back thinking I'm ready to take things on because things at Preston didn't go well last year. And a lot of people said, well, that was a coaching change. I really don't think it was. I just don't think he did that well, but I still have some hope for him. It just wasn't quite the level of quality, but I thought he showed okay. And it was a big chance for him for sure. Um, Mark Christopher at Mark C eight, five, six. Story of the season is going to be the lack of depth and quality when key players are out. Gordon did well, scared about right back and left back. We knew that would be a potential issue, even if Godfrey can cover those positions just in a very different way. Again, though, it's hard to not point to injuries as being the issue when you have the injuries at the top and the guys in the middle that you're hoping to fill out. You know, we bought a couple kind of utility type players and we just can't rely on them. And it's just a shame and it hurts us. You know, the drop off is still too big and there are too many guys hurt despite our injury prevention efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Despite the fitness gurus doing their best work, the Everton curse that doesn't exist, according to Miguel, And I don't think it does either. But anyway, to wrap things up, we do have a few, I think, um, silver lining comments here, starting with uh, Hope Kills at a American Toffee said honestly don't understand the idea that this was an embarrassing loss and are starting 11 today outside of dean and maybe godfrey who starts consistently for a top 10 Premier league team our squad simply isn't good enough to be competing for trophies right now and honestly i think that may be uh, probably factored in partially to rafa's squad selection in that you're not really going to gamble any of your key guys in a match like this when you've got a match saturday and you're already threadbare i hate that attitude though I, I do I too. I do too. But I he agree. didn't seem upset at all about the loss. He yeah. was amazingly positive, which I'm sitting there listening to him. I'm, what is going on? But I guess it's early. Maybe that's how he's being. He hasn't it's too early gotten... to, to get angry. No, he'll publicly. get angry later and blame everyone. Uh, but yeah, that was. <laughs> you just <laughs> can't help yourself. Card. Well, that's how he is in the past. I no, I know, I know. I mean, I'm that's just how he you is. But but I was. I, it was a little too positive to me. He just thought we didn't convert our chances in the final third. And I frankly disagree with that. I think part of the issue is you didn't put enough pressure on the other team. It's not just about converting your chances in the final third against QPR. It's about generating a lot more chances than QPR. Right. And when you just hand them the ball, I just think it is really hard to rely on a counterattack against an inferior opponent. Yeah. I mean, you're handing them chances to have the ball in dangerous spots. And I just don't, I, I don't, I don't like the tactics today. I thought it was too passive, but I can't argue hope kills his point. Whereas we looked at the lineup, we thought, yeah, it's not amazing. And it's not a team that should blow away QPR, especially at their place at night. Um, but maybe just play someone differently. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I depends if you want to be committed to try and make it to the next round. Um, and we got to the corner finals last year in both this and the FA cup and thought we could make a run and played a tough match against Leicester. 
and didn't come through, but you know, had a great comeback and everything. And I just, I think that's a big chance for us to have success. And when we got healthy, maybe we could do some damage, but, and there were a lot of good matchups where good teams were playing each other too. Yeah. And anyway, um, we got RuPaul Pogba at boss man, junior, a man is always arguing with me, but in a very cool, interesting way, I always think a silver lining. I have a lot of confidence in this team to come back when they're behind. I haven't felt that way in the 10 years I've been following Everton. And there's some merit to that. And they are scoring some goals. I can't argue with that. Came back from being down a goal twice in this match. We've come back a few times in the league. I think that's totally fair. And look, we've, I mean, I think we've just done this song and dance a few too many times where we play our B squad for lack of a better term against a lower caliber opponent and just sort of expect to waltz to a win and just doesn't happen. But anyway, regardless, before we move on to the last segment of the episode, we do have leave you with the wise words of, Kev, America's foremost Ben Godfrey apologist at KEving715, said 102 days until January 1st. That's 15 matches. I, I mean, it's <laughs> too late. Uh, and know. even then, you bring someone in on January 1st. This is it's the worst time to buy if we've learned anything. It is. It's the time to take advantage of other desperate clubs. Uh, But along those lines, I figure we must ask the simple question that tonight, if one James Rodriguez is in that lineup, do we fare better? I think every Everton fan on earth would probably say you swap out uh, him for Alex Iwobi, maybe play Alex elsewhere. Yeah, play him on the You have a bit more success with breaking down QPR. You just can't make up for the tremendous ability Amos has to create goal scoring opportunities and dictate play. Some and of the just quality such- to get it, get behind them too, where we had chances and had some sequences, but not quite the quality. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just, it's a shame when you look at someone that's that talented and has that kind of ability and, and, and you don't even use him. We're down on numbers and you know, does it look like he's going to go? I mean, Pipe Sierra indicates that James Rodriguez is going to decide tomorrow if he's going to sign with El Ryan or return to Everton. Uh, Don't get me wrong. They have a lovely complex on the outskirts of Doha. It looks lovely. They have a big stadium. But, I mean, I I think off the air, James said to me, if you'd have told me before the year in the summer that James Rodriguez is going to be pawned off in September, at the end of September, to Al Ryan in Qatar, I would have laughed in your face. And I think I would have done it too. It's what what is it, going on? I, I just it makes it, at this point, and we could probably do a whole episode on this. So I we don't kind of called this though. I mean, we, we kind of called that something would happen here. You did. And Ryan, you've been talking about, I think you've been ringing the bell or whatever rallying troops to the cause of like this is primarily driven by rafa based on a lot of i think objective evidence that you've brought to it the could table. be hames too i i it's it's driven by the the conflict between the two yes i just what i maintain is i don't think this has much to do with everton i'm not saying hames is passionate about everton but i i just think that the only evidence we have that he has any problem with the city of liverpool the club of everton I, there really isn't any to me is that Mendez when Carlo left was going to go look around for opportunities. But what I don't understand is why wouldn't he? 
mean, I would hope he would do that. I mean, you went in. I mean, Carlo brought you to Everton for sure. I mean, you came here because it's the Premier League and Carlo Ancelotti is the one who brought you in and you, and you love Carlo and that's great. When he leaves, I, I don't know about you, but if I take a new job somewhere and I'm only there for a year and I go there specifically for one person, you know what I mean? And that person has tremendous influence on my day-to-day existence and my day-to-day happiness. If that person leaves, unbeknownst to me, in a year, of course I'm going to look at options. Why would you not? And this just in. Do you seriously think Jorge Mendez isn't going to jump at any possible chance to drive more fees his way in any way, shape, or form? Of course he is. So I don't think that's any – that is not, to me, any sort of logical evidence that would indict like, like say that James hates Everton or something. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. And, and I mean, what are you not going to take the but, guy in his word and Twitch? But I don't he think people have fine. said that he hates Everton, Ryan. I mean, oh, that, I think that's obviously have. hyperbolic. I think people oh, have said that he's not, he's maybe not fully committed to Everton. And I think there is some evidence to that indicate that. But well, well, what does that mean? I mean, is it because he didn't play well enough last year? I've heard it, that one. He didn't give enough effort. He couldn't have been more productive. What are we talking about? But he, the other he did. I think it's a couple things that just the optics haven't been great. It's the leaving early, posting the picture on the plane, which sure. look, you can not care about that, but you could also I hope see why that would rub people the wrong way when we're theoretically sure. still in the fight for Europe. And he's like, sure. all right, see ya. I'm off to Columbia. That well, said, okay. it could be he's excused. a little aloof. He's a little aloof. I sure. get that. Okay. And, but the thing is, Carlos, the one who said, go, of course he asked, he wanted to be with his family. But right. I, the mythology around is what I what I get irritated about. We have and the amazing... soap opera just it bothers. Like I, I'm yeah, sick of this. Annoying. Yeah. Okay. And maybe I, this I, is what you get with this is what you get with a superstar of this caliber. Something Everton haven't really had to deal too much with. But I agree with you in don't that. Don't forget about Eto. <laughs> I know. I, I almost brought him. Edie's but... interview the other day about Eto is just unbelievable. Oh, well, the, the, there are certain things that irritate me though. This physio garbage that he's not fit stuff for last year he didn't work hard enough for all this how do you know that do we have a bunch of physios now out there in the social media realm that are at finch farm that know about his training attitude and stuff like that and and i guess what irritates me is we've already seen historical examples of these things at real madrid i don't know if people forgot about this or didn't realize it was james claimed he was fit this is their whole rift and how it started and benitez said no he's not which i find kind of absurd but Okay, he's entitled to his opinion. So he left him off the team sheet against Las Palmas. They won, whatever. Next match, PSG in the in the Champions League, sat him on the bench and didn't play him. And he was ticked. And then the next match, they're playing at, at Sevilla, and they were getting beat. And then he throws James in with like 20 minutes left. James scores and, you know, didn't matter. They still lost. James then goes on international duty and plays two matches for 90 minutes each and literally gets in front of a television camera and tells him about his fitness and how he had no problem running 90 minutes because he was ticked. So we're seeing the exact same thing where James is like, I'm ready to play when he needs me. He's full in training. And now it's it's Rafa saying that James says he's not ready, which if he's going to go on a medical here and consider if he's sitting here in Doha right now, is he really unfit to pass a medical? Or is he you're just waiting out basically to move him? I don't know, but I'm sorry. The guy is a really talented guy. Are you telling me we can't use him? And, and fine, a second Rafa got hired. We know that was going to be a problem. Why was this not resolved when he got hired at the end of what, June? It's just, it really, I think, and people are, have said this, it, it speaks to some sort of discord within the hierarchy of the club that you could bring in a guy to be your commercial centerpiece, your superstar. And in the span of 12 months, he's all of a sudden being pawned off 
desperately, it seems, to a team in Qatar as one of the only legitimate guy teams that seem to want him. Um, and he's faced with this decision. Do I stay and play for Everton for a manager who has probably, from his standpoint, disrespected him in the past? Or do I go to the Middle East and sort of descend into irrelevancy and risk my spot in the next World Cup with Colombia? It, it would be a shocking, shocking turn of events if this is how this sort of saga, soap opera, whatever you want to call it, ends. But we will find out maybe tomorrow morning, maybe tomorrow afternoon. We'll find out. But uh, yeah, Ryan, I don't know if you have any last thoughts on the Hamas well, my, drama. My last thought is I'm just and I tweeted this out. Uh, the one I really don't like is this idea that Carlo left. So Hamas is out. He's not going to fight for his place or whatever nonsense he won't. He was not willing to fight for his place. I don't even I, I just don't understand things like this. It's just that's not how human beings act. He's not going to fight for. I don't even know what that means. And we literally have this exact example. When he was at Munich, he went there. Carlo got fired. Same thing. He said openly he wasn't happy at Bayern, too. He wasn't happy that he went there to begin with, but he tentatively agreed to it. He hasn't even said anything like that at Everton. So what happens? Henkes comes in. And they kind of bang it out. He's not real happy and kind of work it out. And what happens? He ends up becoming like, you know, in the first 11, all league in the Bundesliga in the Champions League. I mean, he was completely effusive in his praise for Hamas. He's legitimately one of the best players in the league. He, he performed under him. He got the best out of him, just like Carlo did. So this mythology that Ancelotti is the only guy that can get the best out of Hamas is crazy. People just, you have to look at history here. It's not like he's dead. He's been around for 30 years. He's done a lot in the game. This is the exact same thing. Two-year deal. I, I, I just don't, it's, it, Carlo leaves. So to me, there is no, I'm sorry. You can't tell me it's Everton. You can't tell me it's anything but Benitez. Now that doesn't mean it's Benitez's fault either. This could totally be Hamas's responsibility as, sure. you know, he called him out on TV and there's clear, it's that conflict though that matters. And it does drive me crazy, the fact that we knew this was happening. You should have known this the second you did it. And why not move him? Are you seriously trying to tell me that Al Ryan was not interested in early August? Right. So now you've lost a guy that could make a creative difference in your team, who clearly was our most creative player last year, probably a best attacker, no offense to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And we've got 15 games that you're going to be totally of no use to you. I mean, he could play and this idea that he didn't fit in the Rafa system. I, I think we debunked that. We've theory. talked about that a Endlessly. ton. It's ridiculous. It, and it's I just a, like, it just stupid. feels like it's, it's reflective of the state of the club and coming off the back of the cup loss doesn't help of the Villa loss doesn't help True. now to essentially pawn off our most influential and creative attacking player to a disrespect intended a nothing league um, sure. where we have no real bargaining power because there's very few places he could go. Uh, we had someone in the discord. I think maybe uh, DC toffees, John post the remaining open windows. He could go to like Swaziland. He could go, you know, all these <laughs> random places that still have their windows open, but it is just so strange when we can't bring anyone else in to then send him out. There's gotta be just irreparable conflict going on that, they don't see any way past. And so it's sad. It's unfortunate. We were all so excited when he signed, probably sold a million bajillion Hamas kits that will now be uh, yep. boxed up, perhaps never to be worn again. And it just sort of says uh, a lot about 
Everton's ability to sort of manage these situations. But that's yeah, the that's modern the football. Uh, yeah. It's a club right now. I, I, it's very hard to look at that and not see a very conflicted sense of organization. I mean, yeah. you go from Silva with brands is clearly in the director of football seat, even if there are some other influences to Ancelotti who ran all the recruitment. I mean, brands at least had some role there. I think Carlo has never been all that interested in recruitment, but he clearly brought in a couple players like Alan and Hummes who were designed to play the way he wanted to play. And I mean, when Ancelotti was on his way out, he basically said, look, I want to play more attractive football. Of course, we know that because he's done it in the past. And now you bring in a guy who's very different than all those guys, plays in a very different way. How can you recruit to that? Yeah. And the other thing is, too, I'm sorry, sick and tired of people saying, like, Rafa is the one who's doing recruitment now. He's the end all be all. He's a very controlling guy. He has his own scouts, frankly, not even employed by the club. That's how he's doing business now. So people need to realize that that is a massive shift. In, in club philosophy and it really disturbs me the fact that we had a model we thought for two years and you just tore it up at the first sign of any sort of concern and now you've taken an even more drastic step in the other way and i just i'm fearful how it's going to turn out and i definitely don't want to see a lot more matches like the one i watched today absolutely not and with that we look ahead to norwich on saturday let's Do see we? if everton can correct course okay. return to winning ways I think we all hope for the best. And perhaps now that little uh, glimmer of hope that we had with Rafa's mercurial start starting to fade a little bit, but we will be with you following that match. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a rating review uh, comment on your podcast platform of choice. We appreciate it. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find all of our links at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash USA Toffee Pod. That's linktr dot E-E slash USA Toffee Pod. Otherwise, check out our stuff on Toffee TV USA as well. If you haven't, we'll be with you next time. Until then, up the toffees. Yeah.